Yesterday, we spent a lot of time talking about immigration and international students, specifically how Australia and the UK uh, in December announcing that uh, there'll be a fundamental reset to their immigration system. In fact, they're going to cut immigration levels to half of what they were just last year. While we here in Canada continue with essentially the status quo. In fact, we're expecting 485,000 immigrants to move here this year, 500,000 next year. And that, of course, doesn't include international students, which is which usually hovers around a million people. Well, today we want to look at this record immigration numbers and the impact they're having on our healthcare system right here in British Columbia. Joining me now to talk a little bit about demographics and our healthcare system is BC's Minister of Health, Adrian Dix. Minister, thank you for joining us today. Great to be on the show, Jeff. We spend a lot of time uh, following headlines uh, every day, every week um, uh, on this program and others and on the, focusing on the news of the day. But so much of what drives this uh, issue is demographics, particularly for the healthcare sector. Now, yesterday, uh, Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, was on the show talking about uh, what, what, it, what impact immigration was having uh, on our healthcare system. Now, according to Keith, I think over the past two years, we've had more than 337,000 people join uh, BC's medical service plan. Walk me through what you're seeing, seeing and what you're hearing just with that many people being added to the system so quickly? It's, it's dramatic, and we've never seen it before, just as a rate of growth take a year 10 years ago, 2022-23 against 2012-13. This is more than four times the rate of population increase of that year. And, um, uh, and so we've seen in the last uh, two years 337,000 people more in MSP. And, when you, and j- if you think it's slowing... The, the second quarter of, 20, uh, of this year, the past year, 2023, 53,000 net migration to BC. And in the third quarter, 61,000, which we got today, 61,000 uh, net migration. That's from other provinces and internationally. So what we're seeing in total in tw- the first three quarters of 2022 is 150,000 more people. So what does that mean? Just think about the family doctors who sometimes talk about, say, they have a patient load of 1,200, 1,250, 1,300 patients or something in that range. And those are the kinds of ranges we're talking about in our new agreement. Well, just for those 337,000 people, that's 300 net new family doctors, right? Mm -hmm. If you wanted to provide each of them with a family doctor or nurse practitioner or others, right? So that's a significant increase. And so how do you respond? I think we need to uh, train more people. We need to change the way uh, the healthcare system does uh, its work, and that's why we changed the payment model, for example, for family medicine. And we saw this past year an increase of 697 uh, new people who didn't practice, weren't active in family physicians in the previous year who are active now, and that's a huge increase. That's a 16% increase in one year, and you would normally see a huge impact of that, but that impact is mitigated by the sheer numbers of people coming to British Columbia as well. Can the system sustain itself at the rate we're going at? I mean, I can see a year's growth, two years' growth where it, it spikes, but this isn't slowing down. We were just doing a segment on immigration and international students yesterday on the show, and 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 you're already seeing it in Australia and the UK where they've announced during in December that they're going to slow down immigration, cut it back significantly over the next few years. 
We're not doing that in this country. We're still going at the same level, if not even uh, uh, moving along faster. I mean, can the system, the healthcare system itself, sustain that type of growth year over year over year? I mean, a couple of years is one thing, but this goes into year three, year four, year five. One, I'm not, I don't want to use the word collapse, but it is quite concerning, is it not? Well, uh, that's why we have to deliver a higher and higher level of service. I mean, there is to a degree on these issues. And uh, Minister Ravi Kala, I think, spoke about this on your show some months ago, the disconnect between the policymakers around immigration and the delivery of housing and healthcare services, which tends to be in the provinces, right? So there's a disconnect between this, uh, in our federal system, I think you might argue, uh, Jazz. But that said, uh, I would say that, of course, some of those the people coming are working in healthcare itself. We see a record number of internationally educated doctors who came to BC last year, a record number of internationally educated nurses. So I think the system is setting records for surgery, setting records for diagnostic testing, setting records for primary care tests and primary care visits. And we're going to have to continue to do that and meet that test, both to address issues of immigration, but as importantly, an aging population. Um, because, as you know, just to give you an example of Surrey, um, Jazz, Surrey is going to see an increase in the next uh, 15 years, about 240%, so huge increase in the number of people over 80. The number of people under 20 is going to increase by about 20%. Now, that, that tells you that Surrey is going to return to the average. It's now our youngest community in BC. It's going to become an average community. We're going to have to address that by addressing long-term care as well. So it's not a, just a quantitative issue, because mm-hmm. if you have a lot of people coming in their 20s who are relatively healthy, then that's not as big a burden to the healthcare system, although it is to housing, but also a qualitative issue. BC gets more migrants, more people coming here from the rest of Canada um, who are retiring here, uh, and, and, and we have an aging population as well. So both of those are challenges. I think the answer is yes, we can deal with it, but it requires the kind of record investment that we're making um, in our healthcare system this year and a health human resources plan designed to address that. Now, before I want to, I want to talk a little bit about our aging population, but before we get there, I want to get back to the issue of just the system sustaining itself. One of the reasons, as you say, is, is attracting new nurses, new doctors uh, in all facets of healthcare. Um, and you did talk about international, um, uh, uh, you know, nurses coming in and doctors and bringing record amounts of foreign trained medical professionals. That's all well and good. But between that and locally trained doctors, number one, is there fundamentally enough people that we're hiring that A, we can stay up with this growth and B, uh, let's be honest, much of our infrastructure for these hospitals uh, have been built many, many decades ago. They need to be replaced. And with a growing population, more hospitals need to be built. I'm just wondering between building capital, uh, the capital spend regards to building new hospitals and requiring and needing new employees, like the system cannot move fast enough, train people fast enough. We cannot build enough to stay up with all this growth? Well, I think we had also a period of time when the building didn't occur. In long-term care, we, we have an aging population, a growth in our seniors' population. It's the fastest growing part of our population overall. In the 10 years before I became Minister of Health, they spent $17 million on long-term care capital. That's 1.7 a year. That's about three beds a year. That's what they did. And we're spending in the billions on that. But we don't just, we're just not having to deal with the current situation. We're having to make up for a significant deficit over 10 years. But I think if we, we absolutely can meet this test and it demonstrates the value of public health care, a public health care system that supports people and provides care at primary care and in long-term care and in the community and in acute care, it shows the value of that. 
we're building an unprecedented number of hospitals. We talk about it all the time, but you're hearing it, of course. The new hospital in Surrey, the new St. Paul's Hospital, it was delayed, I think, 20 years before we started building it. And in Terrace and in about 18 other communities, I won't go through all of them, you'll be happy to know, Jess, where we're having major new hospital projects. But yeah, we have to build out hospitals, not just because of, um, of, uh, of a growing population, but because qualitatively, the health, health has changed and healthcare has changed from the 1950s, say, when Mills Memorial Hospital was built in Terrace and 2024 when the new uh, hospital will be built in Terrace, for example. So we have to do it for both reasons. Now, the good news is as well, we're doing some things and, and uh, we've bent it, uh, the system is bent towards um, improvement, right? So you think of what the challenge of a cataract surgery decades ago and the relative ease of a cataract surgery now. So some, uh, we've got to use also the resources of the system to deliver more efficient care as well. Uh, if you were Kingford Inn, and I know you're a supporter of a, a robust immigration system, but do you think a lot of what we're talking about in dealing with these challenges could be addressed simply by reducing our immigration levels presently and whether or not they be they go up again at a later date but when that's not just a healthcare question that's a housing question you talked about Ravi Kalon your colleague he'll be on the show next week talking about the issues of housing uh, you can talk about our commuting uh, this is all impacting all facets of BC life uh, how much of a message do you think from the provincial side we should be sending to the federal government say hey slow down when people move to this country they generally move to Ontario and British Columbia, especially new immigrants, perhaps it's time you and Ottawa slow down here because the impact on our healthcare system and on our commuting and on our housing is profound that we just cannot continue to move as quickly as quickly as we need to to deal with all these issues. I mean, part of this, this message in regards to quality healthcare is sending a message to federal government, slow down when it comes to immigration. Well, I think that there's two things to reflect on in immigration. This is not me. This is Adrian Dix, uh, observer of the federal scene, I guess, mm-hmm. speaking, if, if you will, is that we in, in Canada tend to have more control of our immigration than many other countries because of our geographic location. So we have the capacity to make our own decisions about these questions, about levels and so on. This is an advantage for us as a country, right? It is very challenging for people all over the world to come here you know, except through organized immigration. Right? And so what I would say to the federal government in response to that is, if you're making decisions about immigration and you're not thinking about housing, you're not thinking about health care, then you're not thinking enough. So you have to make the decisions with all of these things in mind for all of us and, and transportation and all these other questions. That said, I'll, I'll, I'll give you just another side of it, uh, Jazz. So you know, because you grew up in the interior, you probably know a community called Fort St. James. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not that close to William Flake, but... I spent a couple summers up there. My, uh, my cousins lived up there. I know Fort St. James very well. Yeah. Um, we're building a new hospital in Fort St. James, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in Fort St. James, they're going to see in the next number of years, so we sometimes think about Vancouver in this question, mm-hmm. we're going to see an increase in the population over 75 of about 185%. Massive increase in seniors. It's an aging out of the population. And a decrease... Uh, jazz, a decrease in the population under 65. So massive increase in seniors and a decrease in working in the working age population. Now that's, that's not a good situation for a community. You need working people. In healthcare, you need healthcare assistants and nurses and doctors and others. So 
Um, part of the, the immigration question has to be seen differently in different places and through different lenses. In Fort St. James, for that community to continue to be a, a, a great community to live in, we need to, at the very least, attract a lot of healthcare workers to that community. I think that's fair to say for our new hospital there and so on. Well, that's a complicated situation, right? Because we, in that community, surely we need more working age people. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about our aging population for a second. What num- number that strike that sort of uh, hits you uh, pretty hard? It gives you an idea of, of where we're at. Uh, next year, I'm told the seniors population in BC will have exceeded, I think, a million people, but there will be more people next year over the age of 65 than people 17 or younger in this province. What, are we, what does that mean for our healthcare system? Well, it means, um, it means some significant challenges. I talked about Surrey uh, a little while ago. Now, mm-hmm. let me start by saying, Jazz, this isn't such a bad thing, right? I mean, um, uh, for all the people listening to it, and myself, I'm, I'm 59. Um, when the public health care system started, the average life expectancy at 65 was about 12 to 13. Now the average uh, life expectancy at 65 has gone up uh, to almost twice that. Right? People are, many, many people um, are living well into their 80s and many people are living into their 90s. This is not a bad thing in life. It's a good thing. It reflects some broader improvements in society and uh, it tells us that our seniors population is actually quite diverse, right? That someone in 65, 66, 67 has very different healthcare needs and community needs than someone who's 88, 89, or 90, right? It's a diverse age of, uh, of a population. But you're absolutely right. What it means for healthcare is, is an increase, I would say, in age-related, uh, in age-related illness, right? And that's why, for example, in the next 12 years, we're going to go from 30,000 cancer diagnoses a year to 45,000 cancer diagnoses in a year. And that is a very significant and daunting thing. That's a 50% increase. We have some challenges now that we're addressing, but that's going to be 50% more in a decade. So that tells you, and a lot of that increase is age-related cancer, right? A lot of that increase is age-related cancer. So that means we're going to have to not just increase the level of service for people over 65, but the diversity of that service because people's needs over the maybe the 25 years they live after they become seniors, after they reach 65, are going to change over that period. So you need not just long-term care, but assisted living and community programs and other things to support uh, seniors as they live, as the increasing number of seniors as they live as seniors for a longer period of time. But the pressure that it puts on the system uh, I don't understand how we can s- keep up with it without raising taxes or asking people to find significant more dollars uh, for health care. I mean, we're sending people to Bellingham uh, to, to sort of ease the pressure on the system. Uh, your ministry, one could argue, is the ministry that eats government. It just continues to grow. And I'm, I'm not complaining. I don't think anybody uh, is complaining when it comes to a public health care system in the sense that we want to preserve it and we want it to be healthy. But we continue to grow the size of the Ministry of Health. We have to if we want to stay up with all this. But it also tells me, even with the amount of dollars that we put in, and I think it's about 40 cents for every dollar we pay in taxes, 40 cents for every dollar we pay goes towards health care, roughly uh, in and around that range, uh, that we are still struggling uh, to pay for the system with now an aging population on top of that. I mean, and, and we're shipping people to Bellingham, as I say. I mean, how, over the long term, how do we get ahead of all this? Well, I, I have a, a somewhat more optimistic view than that, uh, Jeff, which is that, you know, you'll remember it was uh, in B.C. 
15, 20 years ago, there was a big debate about the sustainability of healthcare. Mm-hmm. At the time, people said, oh, you know, we spend 40% of each dollar, or 41 or 42% of each dollar on healthcare in, the provincial, in provincial jurisdiction, right? And I remember a chart, remember Carol Taylor was Minister of Finance, remember a chart saying that's going to go up to 65%. You know what? It didn't. It's still 40. It's still uh, at the same level. In fact, the share of healthcare in the provincial budget up to last year, we've had a pandemic, remember, mm-hmm. was about the same as it was when I became Minister of Health. And what's, what's increased and what has increased is the budget share. We were last in Canada in healthcare spending per capita when I became Minister of Health. And now we're better than that. But I, I think, I think um, there has been this talk that healthcare will take over everything. I think what's important for people to think about when they think about these issues is how we define healthcare. I have type 1 diabetes, yes. And uh, when I go home, um, I'm in a loving circumstance and I have uh, an apartment and I have a good job and I have a wonderful relationship with my uh, my wife, my life partner. All of those things mean that I'll have a higher life expectancy and and better outcomes from my diabetes than someone who doesn't have those things, who has to choose not to buy whole fruit, which is very good, is better than buying, say, juice in a grocery store. So we've got to address not just healthcare, healthcare through the healthcare system, but ensure that people have housing, ensure we address what are called the social determinants of health. It was why it was so important in the pandemic, I'd argue, that children in BC went back to school earlier than in other jurisdictions because their health, their long-term health was dependent on them being in school. And our teachers did an incredible job in BC in supporting them under very challenging circumstances. Health is, health is housing, health is childcare, health is, uh, is incomes, health is our economy. And so it's not just the system and we have to look at it in that way. And I'd say increasingly look at it in that way to ensure people have a high quality of life as well as extraordinary treatment when something very difficult and catastrophic happens to their health. Well, Minister, uh, a, a fascinating conversation, and uh, so many of these things always d- driven uh, by demographics and numbers, and I really appreciate you making some time for us today. Thank you so much. Hey, anytime. Talk to you soon.